This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hello, this is Gail Ellis, Dean of Admissions at Suffolk Law School. Suffolk University Law School Professor Joseph McKetrick sat down with us recently to discuss an event in which he was a panelist. The event was entitled A Knock at the Door, Three Centuries of Governmental Search and Seizure. Professor McKetrick teaches consumer law, contracts, and equity at Suffolk Law School. I'm Joe McKetrick from Suffolk University Law School in Boston. On Wednesday, November 4th, I'm going to be doing a presentation on behalf of the Bostonian Society down at the Old State House on Washington Street. The presentation is entitled, A Knock at the Door, Three Centuries of Governmental Search and Seizure. And I'm one of the panelists. One of the participants is a fellow by the name of Fred Lane, who's a legal historian and attorney. He's done a number of books on American law, and he's particularly interested in talking about current privacy issues. Fred has just finished a new book that's going to be coming out next month called American Privacy, the 400-Year History of Our Most Contested Right. So this American Privacy book is going to be one of the themes of the presentation. And another participant is a fellow, J.L. Bell, who is a public historian. He's a very interesting person. He does a lot of work on the revolutionary era in Boston and is interested with explaining what the what the personal experiences were in the revolutionary era, particularly with children. But he's an expert on the Boston Massacre and the events surrounding that particular period, the 1770s in Boston. And the third participant is a fellow who's a senior staff attorney at Electronic Frontier Foundation. His name is Kurt Opsel. Kurt's organization would be Advocates for Consumer Rights and Privacy, and they've done a lot of work on protection of computers and computer records and so forth, and what problems are presented where the government is, is reacting now to some of these new technologies. And my interest on this is that I have done a lot of work on Boston history. A few years ago, I put together a play based on the case of Rex versus Wems, which is the trial of the British soldiers who were engaged in the Boston Massacre. And so I've really developed an interest in that period. The topic that I'm going to be focusing on has to do with a case that's frequently referred to as the Writs of Assistance case. Its actual name is in the matter of Leechmere, and it was a case uh, where a presentation was made by James Otis, who became later one of the chief Sons of Liberty in Boston, and the case had to deal with what were known as writs of assistance, which are general warrants that were issued to allow customs officers and others to search without any special judicial warrant and without probable cause or without any oath or affirmation that there was suspected goods or persons on the premises. And this was something that was abused by the colonial uh, authorities in Boston, and it was one of the chief annoyances uh, to the people because it uh, just illustrated how few rights they had, really, in the face of the then-colonial government. And so uh, Otis, in the Writs of Assistance case, argues that there was a right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure, and also made the argument that even if Parliament had authorized these writs, and he contested that, but even if Parliament had authorized these writs, it was his position that the statute would not be in accord with fundamental English rights, the fundamental rights of British subjects. And so he was one of the people who developed this concept of unconstitutionality, which is familiar to us, but it was a new idea at the time. It was thought by many that Parliament had the absolute 
final say in what was lawful or not. And so this was an appeal to a higher authority based on the tradition of British law, Magna Carta, and other rights that the people had come to expect and appreciate. And one of them was the principle that a man's home is his castle, and that for that reason, deputies or agents of the state couldn't enter a home without having some kind of judicial warrant, a warrant that had been issued upon a probable cause and specific findings that there were persons or or items that were needed in a criminal case. We've broken the task up into different segments. The piece of it that J.L. Bell is going to handle is just a description of that particular era and what a writ of assistance was and what its impact was on the population. I'm going to get a little bit more specifically into what were the consequences of this Leachmere case and what happened to some of the arguments or ideas that James Otis made that day in 1761. As it happens, that particular argument that he made was the seed, really, that finally became the Fourth Amendment to the federal constitution. And he was really, that day, setting off a chain of events, sort of a series of dominoes that were going to ultimately fall and lead to the the American Revolution. So I'm going to talk about the period from when Otis made his argument in 1761 to 1791 when the Fourth Amendment became part of the federal constitution. The other two speakers, Fred Lane and Kurt Opsel, is going to talk about the modern consequences of this given what more recent developments. It was smuggled goods in the 18th century, a contraband that was being looked for. Now we've got issues of the use of wiretapping and immigration raids and the seizure of electronic files, uh, drug searches in public schools. The discussion has taken uh, a turn in in change of subject, and so particularly in the wake of 9-11 and the efforts to combat terrorism of the Patriot Act and associated legislation, the issue of how you balance out liberty and security is being argued anew. We really have several purposes. One aspect is, as David McCullough says, that it's necessary to teach history and to teach history well. That is to show people what the practical consequences were of history and what impact it has in the current day. So that's going to be one target. Another thing that we want to do is to show how these ideas change over time, how they're perceived differently in different generations with respect to to new problems. And I think that uh, people will benefit from that because they'll be able to take away information and then think about these modern issues a little bit more clearly as to, you know, what the balancing out is one way or another and why or why not in in terms of warrantless searches of people getting onto the MBTA or, or issues of that sort, which are current problems. We're all familiar with the airport scenario. Well, how is it that government has a right to look in, in your bags? And what, what's the justification for that? And also just to let people see that their rights really depend upon very few words or ideas. The Fourth Amendment talks about freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures, and that's John Adams's word. But what's unreasonable? That's a question of fact, a question of judgment. And so our rights hang by that slender thread, the interpretation of that one word, unreasonable, from one generation to the next. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.